Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Cornerstone. Glad to see you all this morning. Uh, my name is Austin Pinckney. I'm an elder here at Cornerstone. Uh, I have a couple quick announcements for y'all, and then uh, just a brief little thing I'm going to talk about before Mike gets up here. Um, so our announcements first, uh, next week is our Discover Lunch. If you have been coming here for a little while and you're not a member, you want to be a member, you want to know more of what we're about, uh, come to that. It'll be uh, during the second service next week. That's the 31st, so that'll be during the 11 to um, 12, 15 service, uh, if you're interested in that. Also, Praise in the Park starts tonight at 6.30 to 8.30. That is the official start time. Uh, it's family night. Bring your whole family. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Also, if you are volunteering for that, we're meeting here at 2 o'clock um, at the church here and then heading over from here. We'll be loading stuff up. Um, so be here at 2 if you want to help um, with all that. So that being said, we are in this new sermon series on um, discipleship, everyday discipleship, how you disciple, how you um, share the gospel, how you kind of um, show that to people on an everyday basis. You know, you don't have to go on a mission trip. You don't have to, you don't have to get up here and talk. Um, you can do it in your everyday lives, right? So that's kind of what our sermon series is about. And today, uh, we're looking at discipleship at the table, food, right? Um, thinking about it, when I think about um, the New Testament, Jesus's ministry, uh, think about all the times that things happen over a meal. There's like three that came to my mind um, just off, off the bat. Uh, one is when Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? Another is whenever Jesus eats with sinners and tax collectors, and he's kind of... Um, uh, you know, most people, it's, it's kind of countercultural of the day. The, the Pharisees really don't like that, right? And then also uh, the Lord's Supper, whenever the, the last Passover meal Jesus uh, shares with his disciples, it's before he goes to the cross um, and he institutes the Lord's Supper. And that's all happens over meals, right? So, um, and numerous other ones throughout the Old and New Testament. Um, so these, this is a time, um, meals are like a time, um, it's a great way to have a conversation, Right? Uh, for one thing, you have to eat. If you don't eat, you will die. So um, you've already got meals penciled into your schedule, right? So those are already happening. So that's like a good way that you can kind of just slow down and um, have a good conversation, right? Um, so it kind of, I want to share like maybe a little bit like practically like in my life what that's looked like. Um, it's been, I, I used to do a, a, like a young adult group. Um, and so if I saw a young adult kind of come to the church, it was generally kind of, um, if I didn't know, if they came to the group, if they came to this church or something, uh, it was a go-to way. A meal was always kind of been like a go-to way for me to get to know someone better, uh, whether they are a believer or not, right? So um, it's pretty easy to just, it's uh, like if you invite someone to lunch, um, it's pretty low commitment, you know? Um, it's not like you have to uh, if it's someone who's a non-believer, they don't necessarily have to make the commitment to show up at church. Um, if they're kind of um, wary of church, or if they've been burned by church, if they've been hurt by a church in the past, it's a good way um, that they, like I said, it, it's not like, hey, come to church. It, it's just, hey, come have a meal with me and um, let's talk. So that's been kind of like a go-to thing for me, for people who have been um, hurt by the church. Um, also, again, like even people who are in church, uh, a great way to sit down and just have a conversation. Um, I've had hard conversations over meals. Um, I've had lots of good conversations over meals. Um, guys that I've known 
um, who've come to me with stuff or, or if they're struggling with something, I've you know, told them, hey, like, let's, let's get lunch tomorrow or sometime this week um, when what works for you. And generally, you can kind of make that work. Um, of course, I'm self-employed, so that's been like a little easier for me. Um, but it doesn't have to be lunch, right? It can be, um, it can be uh, anything. You can do a meal at your house, right? Um, and so I, I thought about, in that regard, um, my wife and I have used our house you know, have, it's been one of our goals with having our house is using it as a place we can do ministry. Um, in the past, we've hosted, like, game nights and stuff, had people over for meals. Um, and uh, my wife actually a few years ago wrote something uh, on her blog. It, it really resonated with me. It stuck with me. And um, I, if I recall correctly, I didn't go back and read it recently, um, but she was talking about kind of, like, cleaning the house before someone came over. Um, getting it ready, making it look nice, you know. And uh, at some point in there, being like, this is kind of futile. Like, you know, houses are going to be somewhat messy. There's going to be unwashed dishes. Um, there's going to be some clutter. And so, um, you know, in, in regards to inviting people over to your house, like it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, the, the line that she used that I've always liked is that we invite people into our mess, right? Um, and so rather than like, striving, if you're going to invite someone to your house, rather than striving for it to look perfect, like you have it all together, because um, we don't, right? Uh, we mess up daily. You know, my wife and I have two two-year-olds, and they are a terror. Like, the house is always a wreck. Um, so, to some extent, like, having, you know, not being perfect, not putting on that show is um, inviting, like I said, inviting someone into the mess of our lives and, and saying, hey, you know, like, your life is messy and my life is messy, and, you know, we can do this together with Jesus. Um, so that's been kind of like a, a go-to for us as far as meals has been like maybe lunches or having something um, at our house. Uh, I think that meals kind of, like I said earlier, it's an easy, it kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Um, it's kind of a common denominator we all have between believers and non-believers. We're all kind of, uh, when we sit down at the table, no one is necessarily, we all need to eat, right? So it's all kind of equal. Um, and I, I kind of just want to end uh, some of, like, the best discipleship that I've ever had um, has taken place over meals. I can think of um, the times that I've been, the people poured into me is when people slowed down and took time to, like, have a meal with me. And that really goes a long ways. Um, I've been kind of reading a book lately, um, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's about how we kind of hurry through everything. We're always ready for the next thing. We're hurrying towards something else, only to hurry towards something else. Getting some, We're very, like, task-oriented kind of, uh, generally speaking, American culture is. Um, you know, think, like in India, they take tea time. Like, we should do that, you know. Um, that's a side note. But anyways, um, as far as hurry goes, if we take time to sit down with people, it goes a long ways. Like I said, the people that have discipled me, it meant so much whenever they sat down with me and just took some time. Um, when we think about discipleship, you know, it's great to have programs. It's great to have events, things like, like I praise God for praising the park. It's going to be a whole lot of fun, and I think God's really going to use that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, our, our uh where your treasure lies, there your heart will be also. Our treasure is not events, right, or, or programs. Our treasure is people. And so we take the time to treasure them with something like a meal and uh, give them our time. 
and our energy, and it goes a long way. I'm going to pray before Mike comes back up here. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this church and everyone that you've brought today. Um, I just pray for this service. I pray that you use it to change people. I pray that you use it to challenge us, God. I pray that you would um, just speak through Mike and, um, yeah, help us have a good day of worship here at Cornerstone. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Austin. Throughout this uh, series, you're going to be hearing some uh, from some of the other guys some practical ways we can put this stuff into practice. And so uh, I want you to hear from more than just me. And, and I am excited about this series, Everyday Discipleship. And it really is just learning how to, to live like Jesus in everyday life. Uh, last week, we talked about living in a rhythm that helps us to live like Jesus. And today, we start getting practical. So how do we live like Jesus outside of the church? I love what Austin said. We invite people into our mess. That really is a picture of the Christian life, isn't it? I mean, we invite people, we, we open ourselves up to let people see the, the real us. And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about discipleship around the table, uh, which is really, in a broader sense, just hospitality. The concept of hospitality. Uh, back a few months ago, we did a series called How to Bless Your Neighbor. You guys remember that? And we talked about how one of those things, we begin with prayer, we listen to others, we, uh, eat, with, uh, we eat with others, right? We eat with intention to, to build relationships, and then we uh, serve, and then we share our story. And, and we can use eating as discipleship. I love that. And so today we get to unpack that a little bit more. And so it's just another way we can let people know about our story and invite people into our mess. Um, hospitality, if you look up the definition, it's defined as receiving and treating guests and strangers in a warm, friendly, generous way. The word itself in the New Testament, the Greek word, literally is a combination of two words, and it's translated uh, as its literal meaning. Its transliteration would be love of strangers, the love of strangers. That's what hospitality is. That's a beautiful word picture, isn't it, for hospitality? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we jump in, I want to take a minute and talk about um, our friend Don Gillette. So uh, many of you guys know I'm wearing my Because We Care ministry shirt today. Um, Don Gillette uh, has spoken here several times. He's the missionary we worked with in Nicaragua. Uh, he went to be with Jesus this week. And so... Uh, it's been a sad week for many of us. Don would fuss at people all the time if they ever said anybody died. He's like, no. He said, we're more alive than ever when you're with Jesus, right? And so we had the, the memorial service was Wednesday, beautiful service. We, it was about two hours long, so good, a lot of good stories. But um, we've been, we started going to Nicaragua as a church about 15 years ago about 15 years ago. And so over that time, we've sent, I don't know how, way over 100 people from this church to Nicaragua. And I think about this hospitality. I think about this love of strangers. What would drive someone um, to leave the comforts of the states and to go and become a missionary in the second poorest country in the Western Hemisphere in the middle of nowhere? And if you've ever been to Somatia, Nicaragua, where we do ministry, it's the middle of nowhere, right, guys? It's, it's out there, uh, right on the Honduras border. It's rural. It's lots of tiny villages all around. Um, and if you knew Don, he was a larger-than-life personality. We warn people sometimes where they went. Now, 
Don, we pretty much just said, told people, don't tell Don what to do, and you'll be all right. Right? You don't go somewhere and try to tell him how to do men. You know, you just, he's a, he was an ex-Marine drill instructor, if that tells you anything. <laughs> Southern Baptist, ex-Marine drill instructor. So you did things his way, but I tell you what, he cared about the people. He cared about us when we went down there. And so over the years, I built, built a huge friendship with him. He's been my mentor um, and so even during these last two and a half years during COVID, the team that he's built in country in Nicaragua has kept the ministry going great. And then the ministry is going to continue. But here's what I wanted to say. He called me about four weeks ago and he had just got back from the doctor, got some report, uh, got a new kind of report about his health that was not good. And he knew he was getting sicker and he was, um, he was planning on leading a, a trip. Um, he had a whole team getting together to go to Israel in September and um, he called me and said he couldn't travel and he asked if Jennifer and I would lead the trip to Israel for him now you guys know we just got back from Israel that was like a once in a lifetime trip we thought and now he called, and, and we, the last few weeks we've been talking a lot, and he really wanted us to go and to make sure this trip went smoothly for everybody that signed up. And it had already been rescheduled because of COVID. And so uh, we had told him we, we would go, and we just to honor his memory. And so in September, we're going, it's a shorter trip, but uh, Jennifer and I are going back to Israel, um, which is just mind-blowing, but it, it's bittersweet. Um, because to go, go in his place. So that's one way we can honor his memory. Here's another way. We would love to take a huge team back to Nicaragua. Now, we're on the schedule for next June. Um, and so I want you guys to start praying and thinking now. Uh, what better way than to us just to go and do ministry? Um, his wife, Pam, is going to keep things going. Um, you know, I think his daughter Tina is involved too. We're going to just, it's going to be a lot of the churches that have worked, you know, even at his memorial service, we, the other pastors and I, we were talking about how we can keep things going. So um, I'm excited about going back and serving. So it is bittersweet, but I just wanted to take a minute um, to, to share about that because you saw us post and hear some things. I'm going to, he, he watched our services um, a lot. And so on Sunday mornings, you'd see him jump in on Facebook and watch. He would text me almost every Sunday morning, and he would always text, lift him high. You know, he was, he was an encourager, so um, we're going to miss him. So, i got to keep it together. We get to continue this series called Everyday Disciple. And when you think about church, let me ask you, what does your mind typically go to? When you, if someone asks you to describe church, I think we would, most people, you would talk about sermons, life groups, uh, maybe conferences. You, you would think about activities. You would think about events. But what about everyday life? When you think about church, how does, how does everyday life fit into that? Um, and, and really, that's what this series is about. It's, church is so much more than just what happens on Sunday morning. Uh, Mike Breen, he wrote a book years ago called Building a Discipleship Culture. And he said this, and I think he's right. He said, we know to, as we know it today, he said this. He said, discipleship is mostly about this kind of learning, the classroom experience. And, and really, that's about it. We learn from the pastor's teaching on Sunday. 
We learn from Bible studies. We go to Sunday school. We learn from small group discussion guides and DVDs. We learn from reading books. We learn from taking classes at church. Notice that all of this is completely information-driven. In some, in some sort of classroom-esque experience, there is virtually no apprenticing happening in our churches. This is, this is something that should make us think a little bit. He goes on to say, we don't want people to understand forgiveness or prayer or mission or justice only intellectually. We want people who can forgive, who can hear and respond to God, who actually know him. We want people who have hearts that break for our world and the people in it and something about it. We want the kind of people in our communities who resemble the people we see in Scripture. And I, I want you, you hear us talk a lot about Cornerstone. This whole last week, we talked about living like Jesus, kind of living in that rhythm to be like Jesus. And that's why we do sermon series like this, to get us thinking far beyond Sunday morning. Church is not just some ritual we do. It's not just something we show up for and, and then check our list. No, this is, affects our everyday life. And so the goal of our messages is not just to transfer information to you. It's to transform your everyday life. And a principle we see throughout the Bible is demonstrating hospitality to others. So let's jump in this morning uh, to really go a little deeper. Here's the first thing I want you to to understand and, and write down this morning. Biblical hospitality, it welcomes those who are different from us. I said hospitality literally means, in Scripture, the love of strangers. It's easy to love people who are like us. But if we want to be people known for our hospitality, then it goes beyond our bubble that we live in, and we start demonstrating hospitality uh, to to people who are different from us. If you look through the Gospels, we see, uh, Austin mentioned a couple examples, we see Jesus was invited into people's homes so that they could learn more about him. Uh, Jesus often used the, the meals around a table to, uh, to, to teach and to relate and to instruct and one such example we, we have is in Luke 14, and he was dining with a Pharisee. Um, and, and this is what he said. He, in Luke 14, verse 12, he said, Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, the, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. This is pretty countercultural. If I said, hey, are you, you going to have a cookout at your house? Who are you going to invite? What's your first thought? It's like, okay, I'm going to invite those that are closest to me. I'm going to invite the people I can trust. I'm going to invite the people who have done something for me so I can kind of repay them. Or I'm going to invite someone that could do something for me and try to get on their good side. Right? I mean, that's kind of how we think in, in our world today. And But Jesus is saying, when you throw a party, don't just invite the people you know and you, you like. And this is a party. I mean, this word is a formal meal in the evening that he's talking about. He's like, when you, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, this is the same word that talks about the wedding feast of the lamb. This is a big deal. And he's saying, we invite people who are different than us. How, how so? 
Well, throughout the scripture, we see that people who are racially and ethnically different than us, uh, we are to extend hospitality to. You remember what happened when the church was born. In Acts 1, uh, when the apostles were, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, the time has come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom. And he, he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what is Jesus telling his disciples? It's not going to, the the faith, the Christian faith is not going to be centered just in Jerusalem and Jerusalem only. It started there, but then it would spread into the the surrounding region in Judea. Then it would spread across borders into people who were uh, different ethnically. They would go into Samaria Uh, Then it would go from there into the ends of the earth. He's preparing them to know that this Christian faith is not going to be just for people who are all alike. Throughout the Gospels and throughout the stories and Paul's letters, we start seeing this as the early church explodes and spreads. And so uh, we, we see this, that Samaritans, Gentiles, Jews, every other nationality are going to be part of the church. So Uh, different ethnically, but also different economically. If we love strangers, it it doesn't have to do with how much they have or what they can do for us. The book of James, which is one of the earliest letters written in the New Testament, um, it talks about, he, he has strong words against churches who show favoritism based on what people wear and what people have. And I would say now, nothing gets me riled up more than to hear stories of people who have been, uh, how can I say it, how, <laughs> literally kicked out of churches because they don't have clothes that are nice enough. Or because they show up and they don't match the mold of what they think someone should look like, and they say, well, you're not welcome here. We, we, we look at this, people, it doesn't matter, right? In the scope of eternity, whether we have a lot or whether we have a little, we are still called to love each other. We're still called to to show hospitality. Uh, We we are still called to to invite them in and and invite them, as again, as Austin said, invite them into our mess. So hospitality means we welcome those people who are different than us. But also, the second thing, hospitality is an invitation to, people, to let people see the real you. It's an invitation to let people into our life. We're so afraid that people are going to see our imperfections that we don't even let people get close enough to us to get to know us. I loved what Austin said because like, you know, we're like, well, the house isn't clean. We'll make excuse after excuse. You, you don't understand my... Uh, I've got this and I've this. I don't want people to, no, invite people into the mess. Let people see the real you, imperfections and all. That's what we need. We need to understand that none of us are perfect and we help each other. And so when we start living our life, we start putting on this mask and start pretending like everything is perfect. That's what Instagram is. But that's, I mean, that's kind of, 
That's how we live our life. I mean, we try to pretend and act like we got it all together. And people need to know that it's all right when things are not all right. And, and so we see this and, and we see in, in scriptures, we, we see that hospitality is this opportunity to invite people into our life. In 1 Peter chapter 4, this is what the scripture says. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray uh, above all. L listen to this. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Does this sound like that we have it all together? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace and its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. So whatever we do, whatever gift we have given, been given we use it to help point people to Jesus we use it to, to to lift up Jesus to lift him high we do this right we serve together we show hospitality to one another without grumbling without complaining without making excuses I just I mean the, the simplest way I can say it is you can't make disciples if you're isolated you can't make a disciple if you're never around people who are not like you. If we really want to be disciples who make disciples, then every believer has to come to an understanding that to be part of God's plan, to be part of God's building program, that you can't live in isolation. You have to be part of a group, a community, a community of faith, a, a community of people who are committed to Jesus and are committed to one another and are committed to working and serving and finding their gifts and their place in the body of Christ together. That's why we invite people into our lives, so we can help each other, so we can serve one another, so we can love one another, so we can encourage one another, so we can exhort one another. And I could go on and on. Because throughout Scripture, that phrase, one another, is one of the most prominent things you see repeated. Because we live in community. Another thing it does, it helps us see the real us. When we get around other people, it helps us see our selfishness, it helps us see our pride, it helps us see our blind spots. If we're only around people who think and act and talk like us, if we're, only, I'll just, if we're only around people that have the same political views as us, if we're only around people who are, you know, are fit the mold of what we want, you know, we want that we like and that we want to be around, then you're not going to see the blind spots in your own life. You're just looking at a reflection of yourself. Um, and, and so if you are feeling down, if you are feeling sorry for yourself, if you are struggling, one of the quickest ways to break out of that is to spend time with someone else and listen and serve and start learning and growing. This is so important that we, that we let people see the real us. And so that's the second thing. Here's the third thing. We'll keep going. Hospitality is also an opportunity to serve others. It's not about doing stuff so we get repaid. It's not about like, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. Hospitality, it's an opportunity to serve others. 
Um, I'll give you an example of this. And I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, there, there's a woman who's uh, written some books, and uh, she's a professor, but her name was Rosaria Butterfield. She was a professor at Syracuse University, uh, a women's study, a feminist professor, English professor. Um, and she was an unbeliever living in a lesbian lifestyle for over a, a decade. Uh, she wrote an editorial criticizing Christians. And so it sounds like not somebody we would typically be around if you're a believer, not somebody you would say, oh, yeah, let's go. But after she wrote that, she received a letter from a local pastor inviting her to dinner. And so she went, and she started talking with him and her experience, and she ended up having regular meals with this pastor. It not only changed her, but it saved her. Now she is a professing Christian. She's married to a pastor. They live in North Carolina. Um, and she, she says this, the way that they were practicing hospitality became a living, breathing example of the theology that they were teaching. They didn't see me as a project. They saw me as a neighbor. She said, hospitality takes strangers and makes them neighbors, and it takes neighbors and makes them family of God. I love that. It's what hospitality does in a real way. She's even written a book now called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. And she said this, such hospitality sees our homes as not our own, but as God's tools for the furtherance of his kingdom as we welcome those who look and think and believe and act differently from us into our everyday, sometimes messy lives, helping them see what true Christian faith really looks like. And can I just ask you, how many people are you friends with that look and think and act differently than you are? The longer you are a Christian, the harder this becomes. The longer you are a Christian, this is tough because uh, as you, as you, you, you kind of get, you know, you get, you get brought into your own little bubble. You get brought into, okay, I'm around these people all the time, I, and you serve in church, and you, this is good, right? You're always around the same kind of people at church, and you forget about the world around you that people look and act and think differently. I love doing some of the service projects at our church, and whether it's our block parties, whether it's praising in the park. Why? Because we get to go out into our community. Instead of asking people, hey, come to church, come to church, come to church, we're taking a message of hope, of love, of good news. We're taking it to them. That, that's what hospitality, this love of strangers this hospitality, that's what we're called to do. It's also caring for our, the people in our church family, though, too. Make no mistake, it's not just we care for each other so we can go out together and minister to, to those outside the church. Galatians 6.10 says, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to who? Everyone. Everyone. But especially those in the family of faith. Romans 12.13 says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice what? Hospitality. 
This is a theme we see throughout Scripture. And this is why it's so important to be connected in community. And, and I'll tell you this. Um, I, I may get in trouble for this, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Sometimes, and I've seen this over and over again throughout the years, I've seen people get mad when they feel like they're not cared for properly in the church. And it usually comes from an understanding of a, a philosophy, a belief, is the church is here to meet my needs. I want the church to do this for me, and I'm part of a church so they can minister to me. And, and I, I've had people get mad, for instance, when I didn't go visit them in the hospital. The only problem was I didn't know they were in the hospital. Kind of hard to, to do stuff when you don't even know about it, and they're mad. Well, why didn't you know about it? Because you didn't tell us. Right? Nobody knew because you never come to church. So when you weren't here for two or three weeks, we didn't notice because you're never here. I'm just being real, right? And, and I, this is a truth bomb here, so don't get mad at me. If you are connected and serving and doing life with other Christians, if you are extending hospitality to others, people are going to do the same back to you. They will be there in your time of need because they are part of your life. They are part of your family. They know you. But if you isolate yourself, people aren't going to notice when you're in trouble. It's not because they don't care. It's because they aren't close enough to you to know what you're going through. Hospitality is this invitation into our life. It's, a, it's opening ourselves up. It's an invitation into the mess. It's saying, I care enough about you to be involved in your everyday life. And we've got to stop living as Christians, as isolated people, afraid to let anybody know the real us. And, and so I, I just, I want to, I kind of want to focus on this this morning. You've heard us say bef before, that we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. And I, I feel like that's what hospitality is. It's our opportunity to take what we've been blessed with and bless other people. It's an opportunity to invite people into our life. It's an opportunity to take how God has blessed us. He's blessed us with the forgiveness of sin. He's blessed us with our family. He's blessed us with a house or a home or whatever it is. We take whatever it is he has blessed us with, and then we share it with others. And make no mistake, it's a blessing when we have the health and the energy to go out and share Christ with others. And so we don't share hospitality to get something back out of it. We do it to be a blessing. This is extending the same grace that we have received. This is us ex experiencing the love of Christ and wanting to share it with others. In Matthew, um, Jesus talks about okay, if, if you want to know who really Christians are, let me kind of unpack it for you. Let, let me tell you, let me give you a description of what it looks like to have real faith. It's not people who have this incredible knowledge and understanding of Scripture. It's people who live it out. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world, for I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. 
and I'm not, I just want us to think about, is this what church looks like to us? Are we so caught up in let's have our Bible studies together so we can learn more, so we can have more knowledge of Scripture, or are we really going out and sharing the good news, the gospel, with the world around us who so desperately needs it? I'm telling you that there's so many people that you come into contact with on an everyday basis that don't know Jesus. They are struggling. They don't have hope. And they need someone who cares enough about them. They need someone who loves them enough to tell them that there is hope and his name is Jesus. That's what we are called to do as believers. Christ said we can summarize scripture with this. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who's my neighbor? It's a whole story of the Good Samaritan. It's like it's not the people who look and who don't look like you, the people who are different than you, the, the people who are normally outcast. That's your neighbor, not the people who are just like you. Bob Goff um, has written a lot of books lately, kind of a popular speaker. He's a fun guy to listen to or watch. He wrote a book called Everybody, Everybody Always. And I want to close with this this morning. Uh, he said this. He said, there's no school to learn how to love your neighbor. Just a house next door. No one expects us to love them flawlessly, but we can love them fearlessly, furiously, and unreasonably. We're not supposed to love only our neighbors, but Jesus thought we should start with them. I I bet he knew if our love isn't going to work for the people who live close to us, then it's probably not going to work for the rest of the world. Jesus didn't say who our neighbors are either, probably so we wouldn't start making lists of those we don't need to love. Each of us is surrounded every day by our neighbors. They're ahead of us. They're behind us, on each side of us. They're every place we go. They're sacking groceries and attending city council meetings. They're holding cardboard signs on street corners and raking leaves next door. They play high school football. They deliver the mail. They're heroes and hookers and pastors and pilots. They live on the streets and and they design our bridges. They go to seminaries and they live in prisons. They govern us and they bother us. They're everywhere we look. It's one thing that we all have in common. We're all somebody's neighbor and they are ours. This has been God's simple yet brilliant master plan from the beginning. He made a whole world full of neighbors. We call it earth, but God just calls it a really big neighborhood. What often keeps us from loving our neighbors is fear of what will happen if we do. Frankly, what scares me more is thinking about what will happen if we don't. Being fearless isn't something we can decide to be in a moment. But fear can be overcome with time and the right help. We can bring all the game we've got, but only Jesus has the power to call out of us the kind of courage it takes to live the life that he talked about. And he says this, he says, For the last 22 years, we put on a New Year's Day parade to celebrate our neighbors. Our parade starts at the cul-de-sac at the end of our block and ends at our front yard. Our whole family wakes up early every year. We blow up over a thousand helium balloons. We're the reason that there's a helium shortage. 
Before we start taking the balloons out of the house, we give thanks for our neighbors and the privilege of doing life with them. Our block has only 20 houses if you count both sides, so our parade, is, it isn't a long one. Our first year, there were only eight of us standing at the beginning of the parade route. We stood together at the end of the cul-de-sac trying to look like a parade. Someone said, go, and we started walking down the street, waving to the six neighbors who were watching. Now there are probably four or 500 people who come each year. Pretty cool, isn't it? Kids pull wagons full of stuffed animals and pet goldfish. There are no fancy floats. It's bicycles with baseball cards in the spokes. And, and by the time we are all lined up for the parade these days, we're already at our house and sometimes a little past it before anyone starts moving. Here's why we do it. I want you to listen to this. We can't love people we don't know. We can't love people we don't know, and you can't either. Saying we love our neighbors is simple, but guess what? Doing it is as well. Just throw them a parade. We don't think Jesus' command to love your neighbor is a metaphor for something else. We think it means we're supposed to actually love our neighbors. Engage them. Delight in them. Throw a party for them. When a joy is a habit, love is a reflex. Is that how we're living our life? We can't love people we don't know. We can't love people that we don't even notice. Are we really taking the gospel out of this place and sharing it with the world around us? Today we have an incredible opportunity to, to start that down at Praising in the Park. Hopefully we'll have a couple hundred kids running around. This, for some of them, it's the highlight of their summer. We have a whole lot of volunteers helping a lot of you are going to be involved with this. Here's what I want you to know. They are not a bother. They're not an annoyance. They're going to be wild. They're going to be rowdy. That's okay. We love them anyway. And we take this opportunity to share the gospel, to tell them about a God who loved them so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in their place, to forgive them of their sins, to give them a new life. And we help communicate this in a way that they can understand. And so, yeah, we, we may have fun. We may do a lot of crazy things, but it's all about Jesus. And we're going to keep doing that. That's the Jesus we follow. And so today, I, I want us to kind of close out our service today, one, praying for all of us for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with our neighbors, with those around us in the workplace, in our, in our schools, our classmates, with those, when we run out into the community, we do events. It's for the purpose of telling people about Jesus. And maybe God has brought you here today so that you could hear about Jesus. This is your chance to know what it looks like to become a follower of Jesus, to give your life to him, to, give your, to put your faith and your trust in Jesus to save you. And the Bible says when we do that, when we make him the Lord of our life, when we understand he came and died on that cross for us, then we will be saved. Let's just pray this morning as we close. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have blessed us so that we can be a blessing to others. And so as we prepare 
uh, for this week's events and we prepare to share Jesus. Help us just to keep that in the forefront of our mind, that hospitality is simply the love of strangers. That's what you've called us to do throughout Scripture. That's why you've placed us here right in the heart of our city. You have placed us here to love people who may be a little different than we are. And that's all right. Lord, give us patience, give us strength, give us courage, give us boldness just so we can keep telling people about the incredible love, the incredible plan that you have for us. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that Jesus loved us so much, that he left heaven, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, he lived the life that we could not live, and because of that, he became the perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that could take away the sin of the world. And so when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, he saves us, he transforms us, he gives us the power to live life in a new way, Uh, to, to be conquerors of sin, to no longer be slaves of sin, but to be people who are known by our righteousness. Heavenly Father, help us reflect that. Help us to invite people into our life so we can share your love with them. We may not get it right all the time, Lord, but help us to, to continue to point people to Jesus. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for this church. We're thankful for the people who faithfully support the work of the ministry. We just pray that you would continue to use us to, to introduce more people to the, to the kingdom of God. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this morning. Amen.